So I'm Chris May. Uh, my offices are in uh, Coldwater, Ashland, and Tishomingo, Mississippi in private practice, and we're going to discuss the burden of glaucoma and how noncompliance impacts patients and doctors. And my name is Justin Schweitzer. I'm an optometrist at Vance Thompson Vision in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. It's a OD-MD tertiary care practice, and looking forward to the discussion today. And I'm Jill Autry. I'm in Houston, Texas. I practice very much like Justin in an ODMD referral center where optometrists in the greater Houston area refer to us for their patients for secondary and tertiary care. Uh, so I think Chris is going to lead us today uh, on the discussion. Great. You know, I think one of our big questions is we're really wondering are patients doing what we tell them to do at all? And there was a modern optometry survey of 567 optometrists in 2019 and said on average, 32% of patients on one med and 25% on more than one med on two topicals are believed to be non-compliant. Where do you think that lands? You know, I think that it's probably accurate, but I bet it's the numbers are higher if we really mm -hmm. dig deeper into it. And there's compliance is actually worse. Yeah, definitely. I mean, there's studies that have shown that. Yeah. You know, there was a study done where you know a branded prostaglandin was given mm -hmm. to patients. No they were actually uh, monitored or told they were going to be monitored. Mm -hmm. They were given it free mm -hmm. and still, you know, 45% of patients use the drop less than 75% of the time. Mm -hmm. And the major complaint patients have are, well, drops cost a lot. And they were told it's free and we're going to watch you do it and they still couldn't do it correctly. And it was a once a day prostaglandin. So you can imagine when you start adding on um, drops that aren't once a day or multiple bottles. I mean, it just, it goes down quickly. I think, yeah, yeah definitely sure. multiple medicines and long term, you know, they might, when they're scared, comply with this a little bit and then with time it sort of drifts back into... Or when they have an appointment. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the day before. The day before it becomes very uh, useful. Yeah, so great. You know, what do you think is the real trouble? If it's not just I mean, cost is certainly a factor, but if it's not just cost, if it's not just medicine, what else gives them a hard time? Why else are they non-compliant? I think uh, in general it can come down to even specific patient-specific issues. So dexterity with a rheumatoid arthritis patient, an older patient, um, someone that lives alone and may not have kind of a time schedule figured out, or someone in maybe a nursing home situation, uh, that can be an issue too. Your younger patients, you know, who you think might would have it more together, if you will, they, they sometimes are too busy to really kind of to, to do it as well. So it becomes somewhat not only a, a cost, and what we think of normally on the doctor side is per, uh, prohibitive issues for on our side, but also on a daily basis, the, the patient-specific factors as well, I think. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, I, listen, patients aren't trying to not take their drops. They want to listen to their doctors. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's hard yeah, because sure. to try to take something chronically every single day, I think of myself, it's not easy to do something like that. And then on top of it, you know, not to be hard on topical glaucoma medications, but we talked about one versus two versus three. The more topical medications are on, the harder it is on the surface of the eye. Mm -hmm. And you run down to side effects from these things. And when you get side effects, you don't want to use them. And so you can't blame patients for not wanting to use them when they have irritated or, or red eyes. And I think that, that long-term burden of having to do something every single day, particularly as those patients age, you know, it can be difficult to just do a course of antibiotics oh, yeah. as a patient, and you're going, oh, that's right, I was supposed to do that today, compared to 20 years of multiple meds per day, not to mention the side effects, and then time and aging as we, it gets harder to do things as we age, and, and sometimes certain conditions, Parkinson's and things like that, change the situation, and, you know, I think noncompliance is a very personal thing, and because of that, it's a very common thing. 
So on those multiple drops, I think we touched on it a little bit, but I, I just feel like a lot of times clinically, when I add that extra medicine, it's when I need the most, and it's when I get the least back from patients. What do you think? I think it depends. It's on the patient. You know, it, it depends also how concerned they are, how much we, you know, how, where we are in their concerned factor as far as their fields. Are we progressing with that as well? Are we just talking about the IOP? Um, I think the education process goes a long ways there um, in trying to get the patient to, to be more understanding about why we want to be compliant um, and why I'm adding a new medication. And, and this time, generally, we're talking about something that's not once a day. If you buy in general, you use a prostaglandin most of the time once a day to start, then you're adding something twice a day, and now they've got to kind of figure out their routine. So I think uh, that, you know, de you know, is a compliance issue. The cost goes over that now, so now we're talking about it. And luckily, some of these drops now are going generic, um, but still we have issues with, you know, that adding on the, you know, that second bottle brings a lot to the table. And you look at studies out there, multiple drops, and there's increasing number of drops, increase the risk of non-adherence by 60%. You mm know, -hmm. this was published in 2017 in ophthalmology. Increasing daily doses increases the risk of non-adherence by 32%. Mm -hmm. And so when you add more bottles, it's, again, harder for patients to mm -hmm. want to take them. Sure. Glaucoma is a tough disease in the fact that a lot of patients that have glaucoma don't really know they have it. They don't feel like they don't they've feel lost it. vision. Mm -hmm. you're, you're the doctor telling them, hey, you have a disease that could potentially make you go blind. Mm -hmm. And then you put them on multiple medications, and they're like, I'm living my life normally every single day. What's he talking about or what's she talking about? I'm not going blind. I'm not losing anything. And it makes Absolutely. it difficult for them to take them. It is, and I think that, that, that motivation factor with education, certainly yeah. it's there, but I think we see that... that wean with time and with complexity. So it is one of those things where they do good for a little bit and then that's why follow-up and education is so important. But I think it's just a constant uphill battle in trying to help them understand the process. Well, also they leave out of your office seeing 2020 in their glasses. So in that case, they're like, what do you mean? So that, that's why I think so many times I can, you know, come back, let's look at your visual fields again. Where were we this year? Where were we last year? You know, we still have these areas that we're concerned about. We don't want them to get worse. So I think, yeah, once you, you almost have to, you know, confirm that, meeting after meeting of why we're doing this and why you're using something that you can't tell is even doing anything. I think that's such mm -hmm. an important point, visualization, mm -hmm. showing them disease process, mm -hmm. putting mm -hmm. the visual fields in front of them, the OCTs, yep, right. maybe going through the numbers and the color. Yep. That can be a really powerful way sure. to just drive home that yep. you have a disease that can affect how you're going to see someday. I mean, how many of you have seen patients who come in and they, you know, they were started by somebody five years ago, or even you five years ago, and they, they're not, they're coming back and they're, and they're like, well, we, you know, it looks like, have you ever been started on glaucoma drops? Oh, yeah, I got started five years ago. I'm like, why aren't you using them? And their pressure's 30, you know. And they say, well, I never really understood that I had to keep taking them, and I just, when I bottle ran out, I, so a lot of that is education back on us, too, for them to understand why they're doing it and what they see and, uh, and what the problem is outside of I can see 2020. Yeah, that, that impact, that insidious impact of non-compliance is mm -hmm. one of those things that since the patient doesn't always feel it, mm -hmm. it is important to help them see it. Mm -hmm. you know? And that's a place where our technology is so much is. better mm -hmm. compared to showing them one field and another field and they're going, I, I don't necessarily follow. Mm -hmm. The ability to educate now I think is far better. I think that helps, but I think non-compliance is still a oh, factor. Sure. And yeah, sure. how much do you really think that impacts our treatment plans? How much do you adapt what you're doing basing on expecting non-compliance? So, I mean, we know that non-compliance, obviously, if patients not using their medications, they're eventually going to progress and get worse. And so my thought process always is, you know, how can I keep them on 
the least amount right. of medication while controlling their visual field. And glaucoma, by definition, is a progressive condition. So even if we are doing everything we can, most likely our patients are going to progress, mm -hmm. just hopefully not fast. fast and mm -hmm. how do we balance the quality of life issues with the progression of glaucoma? Mm -hmm. And you could argue that for a lot of patients, the tougher thing that's affecting them with their glaucoma treatments is their quality of life and really not the glaucoma mm -hmm. itself affecting their vision. That's a really cool point. Yeah, yeah that's a great point. I think with knowing what we know about that second bottle, I think it, those of us who are, you know, in the realm of, you know, looking for other options now, once we get to that second bottle, we start going, mm, okay, what else do we have? Where can we go from here? Because we know that the compliance drops so much, the side effects go up, cost goes up. That's kind of where, you know, the newer technologies come in so that we can really look at what are other options past that first, past that second bottle for sure, if not even on patients that sometimes are young and, um, you know, maybe drops aren't the way to go even at the start. Yeah. I completely agree. Mm -hmm. I think my attitude toward drops and particularly towards multiple drops has sure. is, is really changed as we've, we've looked at it more interventionally and trying to make sure that we're defending the patient from themselves, to be honest, mm -hmm. in the long term, and trying to make sure that we're looking at this as a long-term plan, keeping that progression slow. You know, the, the patients that are most likely to be non-compliant, well, I mean, I think there's probably those patients that we think are non-compliant and the ones that we know are non-compliant. We have a handful that are probably religiously, uh, I mean, your patients, I'm sure you've educated them so well, they're no, perfect right, all right, the time. I appreciate that. Uh, but mine, uh, I, th I think I, maybe I just don't do as good a job, but it is one of those moments where helping them understand that it is a long-term process. And after they've used drops for, in some cases, a couple of decades, I mean, they may have been on drops longer than I've been in practice. Mm -hmm. And you're going, look, you know, don't tell me how to use these medicines. And you're going, but we're changing and we're progressing, but I can still read the chart, doc. Right. But, but things are, are getting worse and this progression is, I can't reverse this. And I think be, becoming more interventional and changing our plans has caused me to really assess non-compliance maybe more aggressively than I did in the past. I don't trust patients as much as I did, but I've become uh, maybe a little less trustworthy when it comes to uh, topical drops and trusting those patients to really do, the plan may be good, but when they're trying to do it long-term, it's tough. How's that changed what you do topically versus interventional versus, you know, what are you, what are you reaching for in our tools? The great thing is we have more tools, but which ones are you choosing? I would say for uh, some patients, I think, you know, over the last 10 years or so, 15 years, we've, you know, looked towards SLT sort of as kind of that next sort of step, um, especially in patients who may not be uh, ready for cataract surgery. You know, that kind of offers us some new options as well. Um, but I think SLT has been one of those, you know, next steps uh, sometimes after that first drop as an option, depending on, you know, the type of glaucoma, the pigmentation of the trabecular meshwork has all been kind of uh, whether or not that's a, a go-to as an option. Um, and so, and if those patients did respond, if we tried it, then, you know, always whether or not a second, you know, treatment would be an option as well. So I think uh, for a long time, we've kind of had that option. That's kind of my, uh, what's, at, what's after drops for this patient has kind of been SLT. But as we'll talk about later, you know, those uh, options are expanding every day. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, compliance or not, I should say non-compliance has definitely changed the way that I, I mm -hmm. treat and manage my patients. My goal typically is not to get above two bottles of medication mm -hmm. anymore. Fine with doing one, yep. fine with doing two. If I have mm -hmm. to go to three, I'm definitely yeah. thinking of other things. And mm -hmm. that's a wide array of things. Like you said, mm -hmm. SLT is definitely mm -hmm. in there. I talk about SLT as a first line as well, at least educate patients on it. 
I'm not saying they all do it, but I talk about it. Sure. And then you have minimally invasive glaucoma procedures as that kind of middle ground to hopefully not force me to go to a third drop. Mm -hmm. And I try to avoid that. So that's kind of the way I am. I'm one drop, two drop, and then I'm like, let's find something else to do. Well, I think in practices like ours, too, I mean, so many of our patients are referred in for cataract surgery, um, and they also have glaucoma, and the education of our optometrists in the community, um, as I'm sure, you know, around the country has been, you know, hey, now there are other options. You know, don't wait uh, so late. If they have, you know, dual disease, there are things we might can go ahead and do that can help, you know, both sides of things. We don't want to wait. So that's where I think MIG has uh, become a game changer. I think that's, that's a really great point moving forward is as we see these new technologies, how much does all this change mm -hmm. all optometrists and ophthalmology as we approach glaucoma? You know, how, how much does this new, do our new treatment options need to at least be educated on? You know, what does that sound like for you? Because a lot of these patients, you know, my patients I'm seeing for years and years on end, in some cases I view surgery as a negative. I said, you know, do your drops or otherwise we're gonna end up, you know, having to talk to the surgeon. And now I have to do the other way where it's like, you know, we need to look at these options. There's laser options, there's new things. Are you talking up the technology early? How, what does that need to sound like from your referring docs? Oh yeah, I've received a phone call last week from the referring doctor and he said, look, uh, I've got this patient in your cataracts or, you know, it's not the worst ones I've ever seen, but she's also got some glaucoma. I'm already struggling to kind of keep it controlled. Can we go ahead and bring her in and talk about cataracts and MIGs with her? And, you know, I almost cried, you know, because, you know, <laughs> this is what I'm trying to say to these guys, you know, go ahead, you know, send me those patients because I don't have access to those patients. You know, primary care has access to those patients. And really um, in that realm, it's like getting them to a center like ours so that we can go ahead and look at those as options. But the fact that they're, you know, really proactively talking to their patients about it and saying, hey, there's new options. And patients Patients know that things change in all types of, you know, different parts of uh, healthcare. I mean, they know lasers are out there. They know there are no new options in all types of different surgeries and different disease states. So I don't think it's any different that uh, the, that eye care just has to, you know, change that paradigm shift. Yeah, it's yeah, imperative sure. that we talk about these things. Mm -hmm. I mean, we know glaucoma is a marathon; it's not a sprint. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, we can talk about what's better: drops, SLT, MIGs you know, filtering procedures. Oh, yeah. The fact is the life of a patient that has glaucoma, most likely we're gonna be utilizing almost all of those treatment options. Agreed. And so it's our job to at least talk about them. Maybe we don't get into a specific type of MIGS mm -hmm. procedure, but we should at least educate our patients that they're available. And in the, in the primary care optometry setting, you know, things change a lot. And it's up, uh, enough for us to keep up with in the surgical world. But for them, it's, you know, don't really worry about what multifocal IOL are they going to talk about. Don't worry exactly which MIGs they're going to talk about. But know that you, I'm sending you somewhere that has those options. And it's not just one option. You know, they're not just doing one type of procedure. They have all of these. Those are the places you want to have. Is it somebody who has options and looks at a particular patient and says, hey, this is probably the best option for you based Based on where your severity level is, where how many drops you're on, what does your gonioscopy look like? Um, so uh, I think that kind of education, not to get too much into the uh, nuts and bolts of it, but actually kind of the broader spectrum of learning for the education, and then let the glaucoma guys and the cataract guys kind of decide what may be best for a particular patient. I think the great point there is that the technology's made it where we have options where we don't have to tolerate non-compliance or just mm -hmm. berate patients until they do what we tell them to do. We, we have more tools, more options, more choices, 
And I think that's our job, is to become their advocate to where noncompliance isn't something that we hide in the shadows and they're going, actually, you know, doc, this, this drop's wearing me out or this cost burden is affecting me or my family is having to help me do this or do that, where we can bring that out and, and be a team that's all about helping them get whatever they need long term.